According to John Hattie, one year of input should equal one year of progress. Sounds obvious, but making it happen, that's the hard part. Hello, I'm Colin Klupik, and you're listening to Learning Capacity. This podcast is brought to you by LearnFast, improving student learning outcomes with neuroscience-based programs since 1999. If you'd like to know more about individualised language and reading programs for your child, visit learnfasthome.com.au. And remember, you can subscribe to this podcast for free. You can search for Learning Capacity on iTunes or visit soundcloud.com slash learnfast. John Hattie is the director of the Melbourne Educational Research Institute at the University of Melbourne. He's also the chair of the Australian Institute of Teaching and School Leaders and co-director of the Science of Learning Research Centre. His work is known widely throughout the world. In June 2015, he wrote two papers that were intended to be read together. What doesn't work in education? The politics of distraction. And what works best in education? The politics of collaborative expertise. The titles alone sound provocative and controversial, but the message is in essence quite simple. He argues that one year of input should equal one year of progress for all students, no matter where they start. It sounds obvious, but he argues that we are too easily distracted from the real issues and that we don't harness enough the power of collaborating with our best educators to create what he calls a coalition of the successful. I caught up with John at the Improving Initial Teacher Education Conference in Melbourne in April 2016 to dig a little bit deeper into these two papers. John Hattie, thanks for joining us. In uh, the two papers that you wrote in June 2015, The Politics of Distraction and The Politics of Collaborative Expertise, let me start off with one of the first points that you make, and that is you say that one year of input should equal one year of progress. Now, that to me sounds really obvious, and I think if you said that to anybody, they'd say, yeah, that sounds really obvious. But why don't we hear that more? Because we have an obsession about standards and achievement and we think good schools, good teachers are those ones that get their students to these high levels of achievement and standards. Uh, and certainly I do, I want to do that too. But the problem with that is, is that it fails to take into account where the kids start. And Australia has a particularly unique problem at the moment in that if you look at its PISA ratings and the international tests over the last 15, 20 years, we are systematically going backwards because of what we're not doing with our top 40% of our kids. Because they're achieving a standard, we say, leave them alone. Yeah. And so I want to turn the debate around and say, no, every kid deserves at least a year's growth for a year's input, no matter where they start, whether they are struggling or whether they are bright. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard to do, it's harder to measure, it's harder to evaluate, but it's the right question. So I don't think I've ever been to a school that doesn't talk about high standards or high achievement. But in, in the report that you wrote, in, in the distraction report, and they're, and they're, t- they're two reports designed to be read back to back. Correct. You, you suggest that talking about high standards and high achievement is almost like talking about an, an inbuilt failure system. Oh, absolutely. In many schools where those students are doing extremely well, as they come into the school, I still argue we have a responsibility to add value for those students. But if we get distracted by talking all the time about high standards, we forget those students deserve the same as what any kid deserves at a school, and that is at least a, year, at least a year's growth. So... Isn't it counterintuitive, though, to suggest that, that that in itself is a potential failure point? 
Well, it is because the whole community then starts considering good schools as those that have high achievement, and they fail to recognise that some of our schools in our most struggling areas of Australia are stunningly brilliant. But just because they don't get their kids at the high levels of NAPLAN or the high levels of achievement, we see them as failure schools, and they are not. Equity, then, is something else that you talk about, and I, suggest that, well, I suspect that this is where you're going with this, that we should be talking perhaps more about equity rather than excellence. And, and I mean, okay, so they're, they're big words, but essentially what we're saying is give each kid the chance to perform at their level and make a step forward rather than always talking about the top. Correct. Because I guess an excellence-based language immediately assumes that we're talking about kids who are excellent according to some atmospheric standard somewhere yes. that no one really actually understands. Um, but we're leaving those kids out. I mean, is that well, where we're we going are, with this? Yes, but you know, of course I want excellence too. But the way you get to excellence, the reason why teachers are employed, the reason we have schools, is to help get kids on that growth, on that progress to it. And it's that progress and that growth that I think is the fundamental reasons of schooling and what we should worry about. And when a school, like, uh, like I know there's some schools, because uh, I've done the analysis of Noel Pearson's data in the far north of Queensland, they're making a one and a half to two years growth for every year of input. Now that's stunning. Are they at the national standards yet? No. They're going to have to do three to four years of input to get up there. But why would you denigrate schools like that who are not above a certain standard, but still they're making a massive investment in those children's lives? Mm. That's the debate I want to have. Okay. Now, we could talk for hours on distraction because I'm sure there are many, many more things. Well, in, that's the point. In, we do love to talk about the distractions. <laughs> yeah. And we particularly like to talk about distraction with respect to our students because we often say to them, you're, you're distracted, you know, as in, in a classroom sure. situation, right? But let's just focus on three before we start talking about collaborative expertise because I think these are quite interesting. A lot of people will talk about variance between schools. That's a good school. That's not, not such a great school. Or, or that's a... That's a well-to-do school and that's a disadvantaged school. Your report seems to suggest that that's less of a problem than the individual variance of teachers within a school. Yes. So that it's more of a vertical problem rather than a horizontal problem, if I, if I can put it that way. Yes. Can you talk us through that? Well, yeah, it's this obsession we have of talking about school differences, you know, the private, the public, and many other countries, you know, we invent independent public schools, trust schools, academy schools, charter schools, as if that's the answer. Now, I have a secret. I'm going to reveal, that within six months of starting any of those kind of schools, you discover you're running a school. Okay. They're schools. <laughs> yes, That's what sure. they are. There's nothing dramatically different because we label them different. And this constant belief that parents have the right to choose schools is a massive distraction because what truly matters is not the school you go to, but the teacher you have. We don't have a debate about parents choosing teachers, and I kind of understand why, but it is the right debate. Because the variance in the business of making a difference to children's lives is a function of the teachers. And they yeah. are distributed across schools. So when we talk about the school as if it's an entity, um, it's just a false argument. I can see why that would be seen from your perspective as a point of distraction. Because whenever I've been involved in discussions of which student will have which teacher within a school, that's a very, oh, very sensitive issue. And yes. all sorts of things come out like... That's oh, that's a personality problem, yes. or, or that kid can't go into that class because they don't get on with so-and-so and whatever. But really, what we could be doing here is we could be shortchanging our students because we might say, well, I don't know, maybe there is a personality problem, or maybe there is a personality clash, but that student may, may progress in that, in that context. 
But that's where I want to come, as I know we're coming to, in terms of the other paper of collaborative action. Uh, the way around this to me is to have a lot more collaborative uh, action within a school. Um, like, for example, one of the biggest problems that I see, and certainly we showed this in our New Zealand studies, that the single biggest problem in the business is teachers do not have a common conception of progress. Right. What it means to have a year's growth. Now, in schools where they have those debates, where they, and they're very, very important debates to have, then you don't see that within-school variance as much. So I want to reduce the within-school variance. I don't want to allow parents to choose teachers because there's all kinds of hiccups, as you say, in yeah, that, that problem. Yeah, it's very tricky. Yeah, so that's not where I'm going. But I do want to reduce the variance within schools to have them all making that year's growth. So I guess in each particular context, then, in each school, that would involve data collection, it would yes. involve... Being able to say, okay, this is oh, where... Oh, don't get me wrong. We collect so much data already. It's data interpretation. Okay, all right. So so looking... Well, okay, well, how about this? So as, as teachers, we, we do um, give out assignments, we do give out tests and assessments and so forth, but what you're suggesting is that we should stop and take another look at those and then see if we can establish some norms, some bases, and say, okay, in, in any given year, this is where we think that student should be. That's right. And, and what's your perception, teacher, of how you interpret that data? What does it mean to be good at maths? What does it mean to be good at panel beating? What does it mean to be good at a year five student? And having that debate, because what you don't want to happen, which happens in many schools, is the kid goes from year five to year six, but the year six teacher's concept of challenge and progress is lower than the year five teacher. Right, okay. Ouch. Yeah. Very common. Yeah, so there's that individual variance coming out. Just That's the in, variance we're yeah, talking about. Yeah, the That's the variance I want to reduce. Yeah, in the perception of what as what is actually what is <laughs> in in effect. Okay, well let's talk talk about something a little bit more controversial. There's uh, a section in your paper where you mention that teacher education in Australia at the moment is uh, little more than a cottage industry, and uh, perhaps more akin to doing an apprenticeship. I, I need to I need to just let you know a little secret here. I, I actually printed that out, and uh, I stuck it on a notice board wall. And I thought, I'm going to conduct my own little scientific ethnographic ex experiment here. So I stuck it on the wall, and then I just watched. <laughs> and? And, well, I, I got all sorts of responses from a blank look to a bit of a sneer to a bit of a half-closed eyes response to a, 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 one person actually came up to me and said, yeah, I read that thing you put on the wall. But uh, no one came up to me and said, yeah, I totally agree with that. It's... It, in, in that particular context, which is a microcosm, it was seen as being controversial. Do you stand by it? Oh, look, I've done a pretty systematic search. Um, Linda Darling-Hammond has, Betsy Becker has, for the number of studies that have looked at the impact of teacher education on the learning lives of students. And between us, we can find 106 studies. There are 17,000 institutions running teacher education, and we can find 106 studies. We are the most bankrupt in terms of evidence. And when you look at the nature of the little evidence we have, it's not as healthy as we'd want it to be. And so you know, my mission is to not say teacher education is, is useless and we shouldn't do it. There are some excellent programs out there. The variability across them, however, is ginormous. Sure. And the whole move that we're trying to do, particularly here in Australia at the moment, is to build an evidence base about teacher education and its impact on the learning lives of students. Um, it's... The implications of not doing that are pretty diabolical. You're not talking about standardisation, though, are you? No, not at all, because if I knew there was one way to do it, we'd all be doing it. On the other hand, certainly across Australia, like we have 434 programmes of teacher education in Australia, and it is the case that they're all different. I cannot believe that there are 430 ways of getting it right. There's not one way. <laughs> And one of the things we're trying to do is build some collaboration sure. across those programs. 
Like, isn't it remarkable across those 434 programs there's no common assessment? Now, that doesn't happen in any school program. There's lots of common assessments happening, yeah. not in the teacher ed sector. We have a lot of work to do to make sure that the quality of what we do to prepare teachers is really high, recognised and based on evidence of impact. That's a fascinating insight that you've, you've just mentioned, that there's, that there's no form of common assessment for teachers amongst the myriad of teacher education programs. Perhaps the unanswerable question, how did we, how did we let it come to this? Because we have a politics of distraction, that is, we are autonomous, we are separate institutions, we have the right to interpret the world, we see it, we have the right to run our programs, we're focused on who teaches the courses, we're focused on the nature of courses, we're focused on how many times they have, minutes they spend in schools and what they do, there's all the distractions. We've never focused until this last year on demonstrate the impact of what you're doing. We've been asking teachers and schools to do that for the last 10 years. You have to demonstrate that you're having an impact on your kids. Why can't we ask the teacher education the same question? Oh, okay, so let's shift this back onto the institutions. Yes, let them ask. Put your evidence on the table that your graduates can actually change the learning lives of students. And what sort of feedback are you getting from them? It's mixed because some are saying, <laughs> leave us alone. Some are saying, oh, you're asking too much of us. Some are saying, we have none of that evidence. We can't get it, et cetera, et cetera, which I find remarkable given what they're supposed to be doing. Some are saying, yes, we're happy to have that debate. Like I'm trying very much to say there's no one answer. You don't have to guess what's in my head. I want you as a community of teacher educators to get together and discuss what impact means. We have to convince our funders. We have to convince those who want to keep us going. Like my challenge, and, I don't want to go the English way where they've taken the money off universities and given it to schools. It hasn't worked. It's been a massive failure for all kinds of reasons. I don't want to go the American way. They've taken the money off universities and said, let anybody come in, so private ventures have come in to run these courses. Mm. Uh, they're no better, than no worse. I'm very keen that whilst we have it in universities, we use that other function of universities, the research function, to have research on our impact to demonstrate we can do it. So perhaps people are a little uncomfortable about researching themselves. <laughs> well, again, if I ask my colleagues uh, to name me the institutions in the world that are famous in teacher education effectiveness research, and no one's got past seven. Let me talk about a buzz phrase that I think is appearing more and more these days, which, I, which you mentioned in your paper in the context of distraction, 21st century learning. Now, we hear that a lot. In fact, I was having a conversation with a member of a board of directors of an independent school in New South Wales just two weeks ago who said, we're less interested in NAPLAN than we are in preparing students for 21st century learning. I'd better get busy, we're 16 years in. <laughs> That's right. But it, it, to me, it seems like a bit of a buzz phrase because certainly if we take NAPLAN just for a second, we've got, we've got demonstrable issues with literacy and numeracy. Forget the 21st century learning part because we've been writing and working with numbers for, for much longer than that. You talk about it in the context of surface knowledge and deep understanding and a teacher being able to balance the need to be able to switch between the two. So 21st century learning, it, is that really a distraction? Well, certainly if you go back to Plato and Aristotle, they talked about the very same skills we're talking about now. So it really is 4th century BC skills. It's been around a long time. Uh, my worry with it is that, as is already happening in parts of the world, and I hope it doesn't happen in Australia, that we add to the curriculum we're going to have courses on collaborative problem solving and creative thinking and mm. critical thinking. And so it's going to become an extra. The evidence I have, and I've been spending the last three years doing what I did in the visible learning work, I'm now looking at the outcome, the learning strategies. Yeah. And one of the questions we asked is, can you teach them outside the subject domain? 
Can you teach them generically? And the answer is an emphatic no. Of course you can teach critical thinking out there, but it has no transfer into maths, English, chemistry or panel beating. You have to do it within the subject, and it makes perfectly sense why, if you look at any subject matter, no matter what it is, there's a corpus of knowledge at the surface level. Then there is relationships and extended understandings between those surface levels. Yep. And it's often those relationships that the 21st century skills people claim. Yep. They can only be done, you can't think unless you've got something to think about. You can't do the resilience. And some kids, unfortunately, are incredibly resilient in keeping doing the wrong thing again and again. <laughs> We've just got to make sure it's in the context. So the ideas I am very enthralled about, it's great. But that notion that they're separate, they somehow can be looked at separately, I just don't think there's any evidence for that. When we talk about thinking about particular things, are we talking about the actual content? And, and the, the, the quote that I'm trying to recall from your paper is the one where you say it's very difficult to use critical thinking unless you have something to think about. Correct. So in that sense, are we actually talking about the content there? Because I'm just trying yes, to think about are. someone's from... The reason why I asked that question is because I'm trying to imagine someone who hasn't thought about this very much, they're probably sitting there going, is he talking about content? I'm talking about content. Now, here's the problem. When we go in and do classroom observations, when we do the analysis of what happens in classrooms, unfortunately, 90% plus often is about the surface level facts. When you ask teenagers, what does it mean to be a good learner? It means knowing lots. Yeah. It means a hang of a lot more than that. Yeah, sure. And it means that relationships. It means that willingness to keep going when you don't know what you're doing. It means that grit. It means all those things within those subject areas. But it's based firstly on that content. I think we overemphasize the surface, yes, but I don't want to introduce the deep notions of thinking outside. I want to see them to go together. And great teachers get that balance. They know when you have enough content to say, stop, learning more, relate them, compare, contrast, similarities, transfer to new tasks. And they're all teachable skills within the context of various subjects. Switching over now to collaborative expertise. And I like the phrase, so working together to uh, bring the expertise of many people together to, to solve a particular problem or, a, or achieve a goal. Your paper seems to suggest, though, that we're not doing that enough. Are principals responsible for that, or is it, is it uh, more yes. of a collegial level? No, I Where think it's school from? leaders, like I ask in your school. Uh, if I walked into your staff room, would I see teachers sitting together, working alone? Yes, you'd see a lot of that. Hmm. And like when I go back to... The big, one of the biggest issues facing our business, and that is the common conceptions of progress or understandings of what progression means. Now, that doesn't happen by sitting alone. That happens by collaboration. That happens by building trust to say, no, I don't agree that what you think yeah. uh, appropriate work for year nine looks like. It's not good enough. That requires a lot of trust to have those discussions. And unfortunately, we are very good at saying that the essence of my professionalism is my right to teach as I like, which means don't you touch me. <laughs> and how we break that down so we get some better common understandings um, how we get it and so we can say well, look, I implemented this and this is the, what worked and this is what not worked in terms of the barriers and enablers what we don't is we do the opposite we say well this worked for me, you do it well it's not as simple as that it's the decisions you make as you do it and how do I better understand how you make decisions that requires a lot of collaboration it requires time, it requires resource it requires incredibly good leaders who want to put that as the focus I'm glad you mentioned time because, uh, coming back to the uh, original point, one year of input equals one year of progress. Probably one of the first responses you'll get, and I'm sure you've heard this before, is 
that sounds great, but I've got a curriculum to get through and I've only got limited time. But if we're talking about students making progression, then that doesn't seem to be able to fit in with the I'm in year seven, I'm in year eight, I'm in year nine model because those time, that time is finite, isn't it? Well, it, yeah, but in terms of the first part of your question, um, certainly the thing that keeps me going is the incredible success out there in our school system. And certainly I start from the premise that there is success out there, I can reliably identify it. It's quite stunning, it's quite impressive. Um, and those teachers have the same time as those who don't yeah. evolve in collaborative action. They have the same curriculum, they have the same assessments, they often have the same kids. I don't think they're good enough reasons, I think they're distractions. How do we better understand how to use the time we have? Like Australia has one of the longest school days and school years in the world. Yes, I noticed that from a, a graph that you put in, in that report. Yeah. As in we spend a lot of time in instruction. Yes, we do, and we also have quite a low face-to-face -face load in many cases within our schools. And so we have some time, and some schools are using it stunningly well now. now I'm not pretending this is easy, and I'm not pretending that, that maybe we should, as I want to do, spend the money on the expertise, which is much more expensive, quite frankly, than spending the money on the structural things that don't work. But unfortunately, we often deny our expertise as a profession. We say it wasn't us that made the difference to that kid. It was what the kid did. It's what the parents did. It's what the money did. Mm. We have to recognise that expertise, and that's what I want to see in the opportunities I have in Australia to esteem the expertise in schools, see it's funded appropriately, and I'm not talking about performance pay, I'm talking for example about finding the time, helping the principals, school leaders to be better at getting that collaborative action. So you've, you've got a framework in your paper called Diagnosis, Interventions and Evaluation. Great acronym. It is, well, yeah, die. <laughs> Teaching is to die for. I believe that's been said before. Uh, that to me sounds a little bit like a scientific model. What do you say Therefore? To that? Well, do you see a scientific model of education emerging out of this? Oh, I think there is a science. I think there is a practice of teaching. I think we know a hang on a lot about what works and doesn't work on the basis of, of our science, as our notions of using rigorous ways of finding it out. Yes. Sure, sure but I, when I have discussions with colleagues, I don't find myself talking about the scientific model or I don't find myself talking about uh, progression of students in terms of uh, data that we've interpreted, as you mentioned before. It doesn't have a very scientific feel to it, despite the fact that we think of, say, pedagogy as the science of teaching. But this, to me, this framework seems to be a lot more specific. It's three points. Okay, there's a student. That's what they can do, or that's what they can't do. Therefore, I'm going to intervene. I'm going to teach them something. I'm going to use one of these. No, it's interventions. I'm going to have multiple interventions, because if the kid doesn't learn this way, I'm adept and skilled at doing something else. Okay, yes. so I was going to say, I've got a range of things to choose yes. from. So I can then go to the evaluation stage Correct. and say, well, maybe they didn't work so well. Uh, based on what I've been able to identify or diagnose, so I'll try that again. Ah, but there's the key. You will try something different. Too often we say the kid didn't do it, the kid has to try something different, the kid made the mistake, yeah, the kid's sure. the problem. And so I want to put the emphasis back onto the decision makings we make, which we're very good at in terms of those three processes. And yes, in your words, it is a more of scientific. I do want people to use evidence about what's the best programs to use, what's the best way of doing diagnosis, using the information from the diagnosis to make interpretations. I'm going to be controversial. That sounds like hard work. Are we just tired? Oh, look, teaching is hard work. Um, you, know, you, you ask any teacher in this country, is it hard work? Yes, it is. It does require a passion. Uh, certainly we don't get paid enough relative to the passion we put into it. And certainly if you look at those teachers in your school who are not having a great impact on kids, it's probably related to not being that hard work. It's a tough business to be in. Sure. Do you think we talk about blame too much? I think we blame the wrong things too much. 
it seems like we're just constantly playing a game of blame shifting. So it's, it's, well, it's it a is, little bit like blame is a puck on the on the on the on the field, and we just sort of move it around a little. Well, bit. it is, but this is where this is no Pollyanna statement here. But this is where I do want to emphasise the success that's all around us. Like I've certainly said to every minister I've met in Australia. The mark of your success and your term of office is not going to Finland, Shanghai and Singapore. Do you have the courage to recognise the success in Australia? And we're not very good at that. Do you have the courage, Mr Principal, of your school to recognise the success in your school? Are you prepared to build a coalition around that success and invite the others to come in? We can't get into the blame and saying these are good or bad teachers, because I don't believe we have lots of bad, bad teachers. Sure. We have variability. And we need a better discussion about that success, and that's what keeps me going. I'm very glad you mentioned the word coalition uh, because, and, and we, like I said, we could talk for a long time. We're in a conference, so our time is somewhat limited, but the coalition of the successful, I believe, is the phrase, and I think it's a great sounding phrase. Let's say that I'm a teacher out there and I'm feeling a little bit disenfranchised and I don't feel particularly successful. I want in. How do I get in? Oh, I think that the, well, the argument and what we do and the, the programs we run in schools, and it's a very interesting question to ask early on, as a principal prepared to recognise the coalition of the success, when sometimes that success isn't your 30-year veteran, it's your three-year-out teacher. Yeah. That's a tough thing to do in a school, so you need a, a transparent, defensible way of doing that. And then you build the coalition by not excluding others, but you build that coalition so that they include the others. They create the debates, they lead the narrative, they are part of the success. And the, if you don't invite all the people into that coalition and you want to come in, you're welcome in, then you haven't had a success in the kind of model we're, we're talking about. John, it's been an inspiration. Thanks so much for, for joining us today. It's a pleasure. It's great to be here. You've been listening to Learning Capacity, brought to you by LearnFast. If you'd like to download and read those two papers which we just discussed, you can find them at visible-learning.org. And if you'd like to know more about LearnFast, visit learnfasthome.com.au. And remember, we're always keen to hear what you think. Send your emails to feedback at learnfastgroup.com.au. I'm Colin Klupik. Until next time, bye for now.